This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, across the way, as usual, is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, recording this on Sunday night. Sunday night football's on in the background. College football season, week four, in the books. How are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. I've got the the football game on record, so I'll come back and uh, I'll watch the end of it. And uh, uh, 49ers playing, right? So that's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Garoppolo back in the saddle there, unfortunately, due to the Trey Lance injury. Uh, and and Russell Wilson and the Broncos can't really seem to get it going too much. Uh a lot of the same in terms of stagnant offense like it was in Seattle. Starting to wonder, maybe it wasn't that Seattle offense a little bit, but that might that might be a conversation for another day. Uh, we're here to deliver the NFL stock report, at least to start the show uh, with the Debbie uh, slant before we kind of transition over to some NFL stuff. So maybe, you know, we can maybe Russell's name comes up a little bit later on if we got some time. But let's get right into it because I do think it was a little bit of an interesting week in terms of college football. And let's start at the quarterback position this week because I, I do think there were some significant names uh, and some performances to talk about. Uh, I know we were talking a little bit about off-air, but DJ Ulangale out of Clemson yesterday, really high-scoring game between Clemson and Wake Forest. Ulangale, 26 of 41, 371 yards, five touchdowns, another 52 yards rushing. Against him, Sam Hartman, really impressive game, 337 yards and six touchdowns. Defenses really was surprised that Clemson's defense, you, you know, was basically manhandled by Wake Forest at times in that game. They could not slow down Hartman, but Clemson and Ulangale were up to the task. And it, it was nice to kind of see Clemson win a game like this. Like we haven't seen them have an offensive explosion like this. And listen, I think Ulangale still has his his flaws, right? There's still some consistency issues that I think we see at times. And, you know, if we, we haven't talked much about him during this season. Obviously, we talked about him before the season started. But I still think there is those highs and those lows. You see the natural raw tools. You see the, the athleticism. And then, you you know, this was his best, I think, statistical game he's probably ever put up in college football. But even during it, there are moments that you see and, you know, in terms of a little bit of inaccuracy or ball placement issues at times still kind of pop up a little bit. Uh, but but I was impressed with this performance, and I, I think it's the kind of performance to kind of at least put him back in the spotlight of there's a lot of tools here to work with. When I've always watched him play, and this is from two years ago, everything about him reminds me so much of when Dak Prescott was coming out. And I remember Dak Prescott was a day-free pick, so it wasn't like he was this clean prospect. And Ulangale may be on his way to being a day three guy. Maybe he can work his way back into the mix, you know, in terms of day two or whatever. Uh, but but any thoughts on Ulangale or Hartman from that game? Because I, I, I do feel like it was the, besides the Florida-Tennessee game, which we'll talk about those guys in a second, I think it was one of the marquee games this weekend, Clemson, Wake Forest, and the quarterback duel that we saw. Yeah, and it, it didn't disappoint, right? Uh, I mean, double overtime, so you're going to get some inflated stats there. Um, also I think, uh, you mentioned the Clemson's defense, just living in the backfield. So what Hartman did, you know, was a higher degree of difficulty, right? You know, Uyunglele, he's 
generally in a pretty good pocket for most of the game. And, you know, credit to him. He's, he's hanging in there and surveying and, and going across the field and back to find, um, find an open guy. Um, so I, he did play pretty well, but again, I think, you know, I, <laughs> when I, when I went to look up the game and, and get it, get it in under my belt for this, this show, I ended up, you know, on YouTube, watching the 2021 Wake Forest Clemson game. And I was like, yeah, you know, he looks, he looks a lot like he did last year. And then, you know, realized what was going on. I, I watched, you know, Saturday's game and yeah, it was the same thing. It was, you know, I, I think there are some really nice tools there. I mean, he's, he's had some beautiful, you know, arcing kind of rainbow throws with really good placement, right? Like drops in a bucket. Um, But I also think, you know, like, I know you mentioned, you know, he's, he's kind of had those tools. I don't, you know, we we talk about, you know, Richardson, right. And some, a guy who's kind of inconsistent and flawed, but you look at the ball and it jumps off of his hands. And that thing looks like, I think I said the prettiest spiral that I've seen in a while. Right. And then you look at DJ and, you know, that thing like barely looks like it's spinning. <laughs> um, you know, it, it barely looks like it's getting there. And so I think there's, there's some questions that I have there on like whether he's going to be able to, to kind of make those throws as he needs to. Um, otherwise I think he's just going to have to be like a, a rhythm timing quarterback, which could work, but I think there's just limitations um, that you'll see, but Hey, look, like he was, he was completely written off after a really bad year last year. And um, you know, I, I think what we're saying, say, seeing here is that there's more than, one side of a coin in a story, right? Like every story has a lot of different chapters. Some aren't going to look good. Some are the ones you write yourself and and you you're as a protagonist and you make your own story and, and you write your way to where you want to be. And and that's, that's what this game was for, for DJ. And we'll see how, like he has to build on it. He, he can't just live off of one game, but I do think after I, I, we've said that there might be some questions around you know, uh, Stroud and Young as well, but like, you know, we've talked about Richardson and we might again, but again, there's um, question marks after these top two quarterbacks. And I think it's up to these players to make a case for who, who is the third, the fourth, the fifth guy there. And it's, going to have to be selling it to the team that drafts them too, right? Every, every team's going to look for something a little bit different too. And so I think that's, what's going to make this a little bit fascinating is we don't really know the landing spots and what, who's going to be looking for somebody yet and what they're going to be looking for. So it's really, it's really just breaking down what these guys can do at this point. And, you know, when it comes to the draft cycle, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see, you know, who's made their case the best and there'll all be different cases. Yeah, and, and you make a great point that, yeah, Ulangale still got a lot of areas to to grow and improve, and he'll probably get a lot of opportunity to show it, right? Clemson's probably going to be in the hunt, and it, there's going to be big moments, big opportunities for him. And we're going to talk about another guy that, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, he may be going the route of Sam Howell and, you know, Spencer Rattler, you know, in terms of a guy who we thought was going to go around one or at least have a real chance. And now that probably might be dead already. And we're only in week four of the, of the season, but Ulangale is a guy that, you know, he didn't put any of these games together like this last year. So like, you know, that's something that like, 
the whole year went by last year and he didn't have any impressive performances. So it's nice to see him at least put this under his belt. I really came away impressed with Sam Hartman too. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that he's not going to be a guy that we're probably talking about as like even you know as a day one or probably even a day two pick, but he's pretty intriguing for a guy that maybe you know can go on day three. Uh, you know, and for like you said, what he was doing with Clemson's defenders in the backfield, you know, was a greater degree of difficulty than what DJ was doing. So I came away really impressed. It's not very often you see somebody's offense do what they do with Hartman and Wake Forest did to Clemson. Like they were scoring pretty much at will, and that usually doesn't happen with Clemson, who's probably gonna have four or five guys, you know, be early round picks in the NFL draft as well. So I thought that I came away really impressed with Hartman. Anything with Hartman before I kind of transitioned to a couple other guys? Well, I, you know, I was, when I was watching through the game, you know, I was trying to find A.T. Perry and look how he was doing and, and what his releases and everything looked like. Um, so, you know, and I wasn't able to kind of go down and just like replay each play and, and look at like the different, how it evolved for each of the different players. You know, so what you're doing there is you're all of a sudden seeing, you know, why, why why are we three seconds in? Where's the ball? Where's, oh goodness. He's, he, you know, he's breaking out of pressure. Oh, look at that. Throw off the run. Like, look at his, this decision-making here. Um, and so it's those things that, that kind of pop out and that make you want to go back for, for more and, and take a look at things. So, you know, it's, I, I have a watch list, you know, I keep building on that watch list. So, you know, he's kind of just decide. you know, he's, he's put himself on that radar for me. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's going to be interesting to kind of follow him. Uh, I kind of mentioned him before, but I think Tyler Van Dyke is is the one, unfortunately, who is in great, great danger of a guy that was being talked about as a round one caliber prospect, a guy who was in all, every single one of those ridiculously way too early 2023 mock drafts that come out, you know, days or day or week after the 2022 NFL draft concludes. But Van Dyke was there, right? For any for anybody crazy enough like me to read him, and plenty of do, people do, which is why every site you know forces somebody to write them. They are really just a watch list. That's how they should be interpreted. But Van Dyke was on every one of them, and he went as high as top five, top ten, top twenty. But he was in every one of those first rounds, and I watched him, and I thought there was a lot of intrigue. But we talked about him a little bit last week when he really struggled. And now this week against, I think it was Middle Tennessee, he got mm-hmm. benched. Miami lost 16 of 32, 138 yards and two interceptions. He's having a lot of accuracy issues, a lot of decision-making issues, a lot of ball placement issues. Last year, he kind of took over for another guy, and he came in and he seemed like he was playing very free and loose. And, and, and this year, right now, we're seeing a very, very different player than the guy who came in last year and didn't really have a lot of pressure on him. And I don't know if that's the cause or defenses and D coordinators, you know, there's more film on him now and and now he's got to adjust, but whatever it is, Van Dyke, you know, I don't know if he's just going to get his job back next week. And it was just an in-game benching. I, you know, I think that's to be determined, but right now, you know, I feel like if there's anybody in all of college football that has hurt their stock as much as anybody in terms of just the limited four weeks that we've had, I, I think it's been Van Dyke. I, you know, like, there hasn't been really many good moments and there's been a lot of things that, that kind of leave you like, this doesn't look like a guy, you know, who should be going in the conversation and be a top 10 first round type caliber quarterback. 
and maybe he can change it around. And I, and I hope he can, cause I did like his game. Uh, but I think right now, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, of, of stuff that he's got to develop and work on that, that we're seeing kind of, you know, uh, pop up this year uh, as he was being talked a lot about more. So I think Van Dyke's an interesting one. And then also Cameron Ward. He was a guy that I was really intrigued by when I did the quarterback preview show before the season, small school transfer to Washington state playing in that Mike Leach style, you know, offense. And this week, you know, they ended up losing that game to uh, Oregon in a, in a, in a battle, but he was 37 of 48 for 375 yards, two touchdowns. He's got athleticism to his game. Uh, he can throw from multiple arm angles. I'm really, really intrigued by Cameron Ward. And as we see the quarterbacks kind of the shuffle of rising and falling and rising and falling, I think I think Ward is a guy that could start to see his status as he continues to, to I think, have a really good year. I think we can start to see him his stock rise a little bit. Uh, so he's a guy I'm really looking at closely. Do you have any quick thoughts on either Van Dyke or Ward before we kind of round out the quarterbacks talking about the other marquee game, which was Florida and Tennessee and a couple, you know, obviously really intriguing quarterbacks there. Yeah, I'll lead us into that game, but just quickly on Van Dyke. I mean, he's a sophomore. You know, we talked about it last week. He might go back to school. He started off the season well, right? But we were looking at lighter competition. This is lighter competition last week and he, you know, it, didn't look good. Um, we talk together all the time. You know, development isn't linear, but um, you do need to be able to play well enough to continue to get reps to continue to develop. That's going to be the thing to to watch is, is, is he back out there? You know, is this a coach saying like, look, you don't have it today. You know, last week was rough. You know, you came out, you don't have it. Let's fix something in practice and let's get you back out there. Hey, let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, I, I'm with you. I just, I don't, they call them way too early mock drafts for a reason, you know, because <laughs> most of it's going to be wrong, but, yeah. but yeah, let me, let me, let me lead us into, um, you know, uh, Tennessee and uh, Florida. And, you know, we had, you know, Mr. Good game, bad game, Anthony Richardson, um, 24, 44, 453 yards passing two touchdowns, 62 on the ground, two more touchdowns, losing effort because Hendon Hooker's on the other side doing 22 of 28, extremely efficient day for nearly 350 yards and two touchdowns himself and another 100 yards on the ground himself. So, you know, that game was was fireworks. You know, I've sworn off of talking about Anthony Richardson for a few more weeks so um, I don't know if you want to you touch on Hooker. He's he's definitely somebody as Tennessee is show. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal that that program is all of a sudden you know something to to watch for in college football right now um, as they sort of march through on their quest to the playoffs. And I think that's going to get him you know more uh, notoriety, more, more eyeballs on him as, you know, like we were talking about for DJ, but what about, what about you, Paul? I have sworn off Richardson for two, two, three more weeks. So why don't you take the floor? Yeah. I mean, listen, these guys almost put up 1000 total yards. Like, I don't think I realized that when I was writing the numbers before, but if you do the math, they, they're like 30 yards short of 1000. Like that's what <laughs> these guys did combined yesterday in offense. And 
Uh, I'll say this about Anthony Richardson because we've, we've said we're going to kind of let it pro- play out a little bit. It was nice to see him have this type of statistical performance because let's be honest, like he just hasn't played a lot, right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't played a lot. So he hasn't had games like this. So to know that this is at least in your arsenal, that you can put a, a 453 yard, 500 total yard offensive game against a team that's currently ranked number 10 in the country. That gets me just excited about the overall pedigree of why we're intrigued by Anthony Richardson, right? Like it's not, we also want to see it turn into some level of production and not just be raw tools and, and things we've seen. So it's nice that he was able to do this and, and, and keep Florida, unfortunately didn't win the game, but keep it, keep them in the game, right? They were like 10 point underdogs, I think going in or nine point underdogs. So they weren't expected to win this football game. So he, he he kept them in the game. He had a lead late in the game. You know, obviously Tennessee pulled away late. So I think it was a nice it, it was nice to see him have a game like this to kind of help in that momentum that hopefully is building towards him being a big time, you know, prospect. Uh and I think this will be a game that we really circle back on when, when we kind of do another deep dive on him and say, like, have we seen the growth and develop? Have we seen some growth and development that we want to? Right? We're not expecting it to all, all the issues we we know that we're worried about be magically gone. But I do think this will be a game where it'll give us an opportunity uh, to really hone in on this game. But as for Hendon Hooker, he's a guy who you know he's got the size, he's got the arm. Uh, really intriguing. Now, this is now two years now that he's really he really played well last year, and now he's really hit the ground running again this year. Another guy that offers that dual threat capability. Hooker's another guy. I, I mentioned Cameron Ward before, but we could also just kind of throw Hendon Hooker in that mix. Is that I think Will Levis is kind of solidified for now that 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 moniker of of the third quarterback. But with Van Dyke struggling and Tanner McGee hasn't played as good as I think people, the expectations were, uh, it's kind of up for grabs, like kind of what you were talking about. So I I think a guy like Hooker, a guy like Ward, uh, I think right now they're building positive momentum, right? We're talking about Van Dyke right now going the other way. Right now, it's only been four weeks. But I, but I think Hooker and Ward are their momentum is going upward, while you know Van Dyke is going down a little bit. Richardson, we have that human yo-yo a little bit, uh, which is why we're kind of taking a little bit of a pause before we kind of you know evaluate where he's at in a couple weeks. Uh, but yeah, Hooker, I think is a guy that you know I, I studied him after the scouting notebook came out. I, a couple people. Uh, had asked me about him and I was like, you know what, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll do a deep dive on him. Uh, you know, but, but he's a guy who I feel like is going to start as Tennessee's now winning and, and, and mm-hmm. turn the program around. I, I think Hooker's a guy who is going to start generating a lot more national buzz as Tennessee continues to play very well. And if Tennessee pulls a big upset or, or, or Hooker plays great in a game against Alabama or Georgia or something like that, it could be it could be big because he's got the arm talent, he's got the athleticism, uh, he's got the, the the strength, the size, the frame that you're looking for. Uh, it, for him, it's it's some of the quarterbacking thing, right? Decision making, going through progressions. But he was unbelievable in this game. So uh, Hooker is a guy who I think's on the rise. I'm I'm intrigued by him, uh, and I think if Tennessee continues to play well, you're going to start to see a lot of buzz about Hendon Hooker uh, in terms of his draft status. 
yeah, it starts with games like this, right? Um, you know, you they'll profile this game on Sports Center. They'll show you know you captaining a comeback and you know pull out the win and and you know your names on ten o'clock p.m. you know to national households. You know, eventually that's going to catch up to everybody. They're going you know talking heads are going to need to have something to say about you and you know your buzz builds that's that's what helps with the winning program that's we hear that all the time right all the big names going into the draft usually come from marquee programs doing really well you you barely hear about uh players off on you know struggling programs as far as oh they're going to be great players right you know they they always go under the radar until you know you start getting into the meat of the draft cycle with you know maybe the combine is sort of where they start announcing themselves so why don't we move it along to the running backs? Um, where do you want to start? Yeah, I, I think let's start with Zach Evans because I see you added a little note here. So you <laughs> you got uh, some information there that you read that you found that Kiffin said it was a medical thing, but Zach Evans only had 10 carries for 48 yards. Uh, Debbie Riser, uh, Quashan Judkins had 27 carries for 140 yards. So I just thought it was kind of, you know, noticeable that, you know, Evans – you know, 10 for 48, if it was a medical thing, it was a medical thing. I don't think, then I don't think it's much of a story, but, uh, you know, he hasn't, he's had some, he's had some good weeks, but I feel like, you know, like as we've seen somebody like, you know, Mo Ibrahim, who we've talked yeah. about a lot over the last couple of weeks, like every week putting that game out there, right? Like that's, that says Mr. hundred yards. Yeah. Right? Like yes. notice me like every single week, like notice me. And, you know, and I feel like we kind of thought that was going to be Zach Evans this year. And like, he's had his moments, um, but they haven't been as spectacular, I think, as we've thought they were going to be. And then again, if this is just a medical thing, it's a medical thing. If he was out there, he might have carried the rest of that big workload, or at least a big chunk of that uh, that Judkins did. And then maybe he would have been the one with 150 yards. And this is a non-story. But but I do think it's at least worth mentioning that Evans. You know, um, what is the medical thing? Is it something serious? Is it not? So so I think that's something at least to monitor and follow. Any thoughts on Evans or I know we kind of usually yeah. break it up, but you know, this jumps out on the, yeah, this jumps out on the box score, right? So if you're looking through and you see this, you know, it kind of like with Van Dyke, it, it raises an alarm. Right. And so I had to go in and I had to look, I was like, Hey, I didn't, I didn't have eyes on this game. What happened? Right. And, and it was sort of an after the game thing um, that it, that it kind of came out. And um, so I don't know if there was a lot going on during the game where they talked about it. Um, obviously with Judkins running well, nobody really notices the difference. And, that's maybe something to talk about, right? Like if, if Judkins looking just as good, you know, how much of it, how much is Zach Evans looking good? And personally, I, you know, from what I've seen, when I go back and I watch him kind of on, you know, back on Sundays and Mondays, when I'm going back and getting some eyes on the games, I still think Zach Evans looks like the player that we talked about going into the, the season. I mean, I think he's explosive, you know, you can contrast his production with a guy like Ibrahim, but, and, I mean, like I said, Ibrahim's my guy right now. I'm, I'm flag planted on him pretty pretty firmly. But Evans looks like a more dynamic player on the field, and and he's going to get drafted ahead of him. That just by nature of how athletic he looks and um, his ability to, you know, hit big plays. So I, I think it's something to just note because it hasn't only been this one game. I think Judkins, you know, we mentioned him a couple weeks ago, actually, as you know, when we hit things really quickly, as far as um, the freshman 
that were doing really well. I think we talked about it with Nick Singleton when he broke out too. You know, Judkins, this isn't his first 100-yard game this year, right? He's already hit that this year. He's looking really good. They're already, I, I thought maybe it had to do with the opponents that they were facing and, and that they're just looking to give, you know, the freshman a little bit of of work and, and get him out there and get him acclimated. But I think this is going to go all year. I think you're going to see both of them out there. And Judkins looks really good. So, you know, maybe we can hit him on the Debbie slant a little bit, but I'd like to know sort of if we kind of juggle some names around, you know, how much of a riser is he? Before we do that, let's hit just at least let's hit at least the other three names we have highlighted here. So Blake Corum had himself a game. It was 30 carries, 243 yards. Gosh, I don't know how many touchdowns. It was like four or five. It was something something ridiculous. Um, and then um, A Chain is out there doing you know doing stud stuff with uh, 19 carries, 159 yards, and one touchdown. Um, and then the other one we had highlighted here is, uh, Deuce Vaughn for, he, he had a, he had a hundred yard game, 25 yards, 116 carries and opposite him. I think we had it, but, uh, was Eric gray, um, who also had himself a hundred yard game. And I think Vaughn and gray are a good contrasting one. Cause when, when I went back and I watched that game, you know, you're, you're looking at them both sides and you're kind of watching one, then you're watching the other, then you're watching one and then you're watching the other can't help but have a natural comparison so why don't you start and take this where you'd like to go first and i'll i'll certainly be able to circle around and have some notes on bond and gray yeah i mean so so the thing that really stood out and i thought it was worthwhile talking about is size doesn't really matter in terms of college football in terms of handling heavy workloads right that's the thing that jumps at the page right none of these guys i, I i'll go out on a limb and say none of these guys from the quorum a train and vaughn will ever have that many touch that many rushes in an NFL game in their lives. Like Blake Corum's never touching the ball 30 times. A chain's probably never going to be a 19 carry game guy. And and Vaughn's not going to carry the ball 25 times. But what you're seeing is these guys aren't these guys are while their roles in the NFL will be different, these are not the type of guys who are just space players. They're not just guys who are who are bid players. You're seeing them take the reins of their offenses and be the focal points. You know, Devin Achain, we kind of I was kind of waiting for somebody else to kind of take the role of Isaiah Spiller, at least mm-hmm. in some capacity, but it's not. Achain now is getting 18 to 20 carries, pretty much a weekly thing. Blake Corum, like in the game, you know, that Michigan, you know, was closer until late they pulled away against Maryland. They showed hit, they didn't, it wasn't about splitting workloads and they have other capable backs, but Corum was their offense. They weren't going to let this game slip away. 30 carries there. And, and then Vaughn, same thing, big win, mm. big win for them over Oklahoma. And all of these guys, while all profile as short or small, they're, they're all explosive in different levels of, of explosiveness. Mm. And, you know, a chain, it's more just that, uh, that elite burst and, and explosion like that. Uh, Quorum and Vaughn, I think more shiftiness. They have explosiveness too, but it, it's like shiftiness, making people miss. Uh, you know, so all of those guys, and the other guy, let's kind of run the mix here, and then and then let you chime in a little bit. Travis Die, he's slowly mm-hmm. he's slowly taking. Uh, he he week by week now is solidified himself as the guy, and I thought it was going to happen, 
because they thought he was way more naturally talented than the rest of the backs they had there. But what we didn't see Eric Gray do last year at Oklahoma, now he is, but what we didn't see him do last year when he got there was seize that backfield right away. Travis Dye is seizing that backfield. USC won, I think, yesterday mostly because Travis Dye was on their team. Not because Jordan Addison, I know we had one touchdown, not because Caleb Williams, who had a terrible game yesterday. They won because Travis Dye gave him 133 yards on the ground. They played good defense, too, which was part of it. But but, but Dye was their best offensive player yesterday. And when you have Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison, that's saying something. Like, that Dye was their best player on the field yesterday. So, all of these guys, I think they, I think they're, they're like, drafts status kind of varies my guess is it might fall anywhere between round two and let's say round four or maybe even round five for a guy like die even though i think he's more of a round four guy but they all have different levels of i think what the nfl wants nfl mm-hmm. wants guys who can be multi versatile in the pass game and the run game they want playmakers all of these guys are playmakers they're versatile they can impact the game as a receiver and as a pass cat i mean and as a runner uh I don't think any of these guys are going to be guys that you want to pound up the middle X amount of times. I think Gray of all the guys, if we include Gray in, in, ter- in terms of this list, probably is the best pure inside runner uh, in terms of like body being able to withhold. But but all of these guys, I, I think, are really intriguing. And, and you're seeing them just kind of take their offenses and carry it. Corum was the reason why Mi- Michigan won. A-Chain was the reason why Texas A&M pulled out that win against Oregon. Vaughn was the reason, a big reason of why they beat Oklahoma yesterday. Die was a big reason why USC won yesterday. So it, it, it's it's impressive the performance they're doing. Uh, and it's not like their offensive lines are far superior, maybe Michigan's, than, than their opponent. So it's a lot on them as well. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about the running backs because, you know, we might – I don't know if we want to highlight a couple names before we move off of them, but because the receivers are, are really not giving us much to talk about. And like you said, all of these running backs um, were the reason that their teams won the game. And yeah, I'm going to take a – well, you, you talked about the size and frame for Gray as far as being an inside runner. Um, and, again, like I, I teased about it. You know, I'm watching Vaughn. I'm watching Gray. I'm watching Vaughn. I'm watching Gray. And, you know, Gray to me, again, this was one game through a really fast, it wasn't even like the full um, condensed film. Like this was, this was sort of the highlights back and forth. And, um, but, but I still saw Gray, you know, have the tendency to be a space player, right? Like that's, that's where he's comfortable is out in space when he can perceive things around him and, and put that all together. What is most impressive to me about Deuce Vaughn is, um, you know, I said it on Twitter this last weekend, you know, with the Debbie, you know, folks chattering about it, but like his phone booth is the smallest I've seen. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, one of the things they say, you can, can you make a guy miss in a phone booth, right? You know, he's, you've got a linebacker coming up the gap and, and he's between you and where you need to be. Can you make him miss and, and get to where you need to go? Right. And Vaughn can do that in such a tight space like honestly if he was if he was bigger i'd I'd be almost tempted to say chris christian mccaffrey like um moves just it's the speed at which he makes his cuts and his transitions and sets sets people up he doesn't gear down at all no he doesn't decelerate at all he's he's more dynamic of a mover in my mind than Bijan robinson is and and let's just 
break that down strictly as a mover, right? He doesn't have the frame. He doesn't have the bulk. He doesn't have, you know, he's not carrying as much, right? It, you know, different, different, different players. But I, I mean, I saw, I saw Vaughn go in and block a linebacker. Uh, so Martinez got his, got a, a crucial first down, you know, I saw Deuce go in and, and go through and pick up, you know, through traffic, a first down at a critical third and two moment. Um, and, and he can get really small, like he can get really small through the cracks and through seams. And I just want to see him at the, at the next level. Someone's going to, someone's going to put a, uh, put a comp out there to like Tariq Cohen or something. And they're not going to have watched any bit of Deuce Vaughn. Because, or, or they're only going to look at some highlight where he's juking somebody out in space because they they won't be seeing what he's doing in between the tackles. And I think it's honestly it's one of the most impressive things I've seen in this running back class is his between the tackles running. And it's just a, he's he's small. That's that's the only thing about it. But he's oh, going to be goodness, he's going to so be good. such a he's going to be such a fascinating case study for the NFL cuz I understand we've broken down a lot of barriers size barriers at the NFL, right? 5 foot 10, 5 foot 9 wide receivers going round one, quarterbacks who are 5'11", 6 feet going round one all the time. But like he's going to be like the next like real like what does an NFL he won't, team like he what won't are they willing? A, he won't get 60% of a workload. He will have a compliment. He might only, he might be the 40% guy, but, but who has more production, um, yeah. you know, as, as he has a running. My back. early comp when I did in the summer was, and again, he's probably a better interior runner, but I never felt like, I never felt like Darren Sproles couldn't be a really good runner in between the tackles. Cause he wasn't, mm-hmm. he was short, but he wasn't small in terms of mm-hmm. like, Darren Sproles could break tackles. Like Darren Sproles yeah. was loaded to ground, ran with great grab, great you know mass, and in, in terms of like you know center of gravity and stuff like that. Like, like I don't know what an NFL team is going to look at Vaughn. They're going to probably look at him as like a like you said a, a part time player, but it, but explosiveness and like he, yeah, and and he's not going to break tackles. That's going to be the problem, right? Like I mean, that was the other thing I did. I did charts most of his runs there, and you know he's thrown down by an you know a d lineman you know block he can just kind of like reach off his block grab him and throw him down to the ground it doesn't happen often that's the thing though right like guys don't get their hands on him um no so you know it's it's and it's again it's not that he doesn't have lots of power right like like he's he's been able to do what you need to do when you need him to do it right like he blocked that linebacker he got his quarterback the first down he's up the gut through traffic he's able to finish through fall forward get get enough yards get the first down right so it's it's really how these players win right if you want him to be a you know, a bruiser, if you want him to be Sony Michelle for the Rams or for the Dolphins, like he's not going to do that. But goodness. Um, yeah, I just, I will see, I will be really curious to see what his draft capital's like. Um, but he, he will be a pretty dynamic weapon if the NFL lets him. Yeah. And listen, to have that performance uh, against Oklahoma, 
you know, who now is a defensive minded head coach. Like it's a, it was a, it's a, it's a, it's something that stands out for sure. No one's uh, integrated their spatial awareness, right? Like I, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm going on a mat tangent here. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's all just clicking for me right now. It's like, nobody can, can have that one. Nobody has the spatial awareness that he does that proprioception, that knowing where everybody is, where they're turned, where the leverage is and where he needs to go and what he needs to do with his body. And then integrates it with such a dynamic movement skill set that he has, like he can change directions. He has burst. He has amazing burst as anything that like probably top of the class kind of burst really good speed. And he can integrate all of those pieces together in the same bit as the mental game. And it's just, it's if, if, if size didn't matter. And, and I think there's an argument to say that it doesn't, but that's not what the NFL thinks, but if size didn't matter, he might be one of my top running backs in this entire class. Like I, I think I could say he'd be ranked over Evans. Yeah, I listen. I I think he's an he's an explosive, explosive player, and it's going to be interesting to kind of see how the the NFL values him. But I I think I think they're going to value him. Some teams going to value him in a way that they're going to be intrigued by the, the you know the playmaking ability, and and they're going to look at him as as a guy that adds a lot to the, to their team, as a uniqueness to their team. Uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that that I think ends up going somewhere on day two and adds a new wrinkle to a team that that's looking to add a new wrinkle and they're going to enjoy having him uh, as part of their offensive game plan for sure. Let's kind of round out the NFL draft stock report for this week uh, with a little rapid fire in terms of the pass catchers, because there wasn't really a lot. So I'm going to kind of group some wide receivers here and tight ends. And then, and Jeff, maybe you comment on one or two if there's something that you want to that you think is, is noteworthy. If not, you could take it right to the Debbie slant. Uh, Quinton Johnson, you know, I mentioned him again. We, we've talked about him a few times. TCU scored 42 points this past weekend, and Johnson had three catches for 29 yards. You know, TCU has had some good offensive games this year. Johnson just really hasn't came along for the ride. So for a guy who you know, was being touted as right there after Jackson Smith and the Jigba and, and Keishan Booty. And, you know, he was right there with Jermaine Burden as, as a guy that maybe could even push those guys. We haven't seen anything yet in terms of an explosive player, a big time, you know, pass catcher, a guy that you would think, oh, yeah, this guy's going to go in the top 20 picks of the NFL draft. So it's early. But but he's left a lot to be desired in the early going. We haven't seen him put it together yet, even when TCU has good games like this past weekend, 42 points. Parker Washington, he reminds me so much of Jarvis Landry. Some in the Debbie community are higher on him. I think he's a good player. Uh, I, I don't see really, really high ceiling. I, I see a guy that I like him, but I, but I think he's more in the mold of a Jarvis Landry who's had a very good NFL career, but I feel like people are looking at him and think his ceiling is even higher than that. I don't see it. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett and, and uh, Demas at, at a Maryland. Uh, I bring it up because they really struggled against that Michigan defense, right? These are the kind of games you kind of want to see wide receivers, you know, up against better level of competition perform Rakeem Jarrett, four catches for 12 yards. Demas two catches for 12 yards. Um, uh, but the wide receivers actually intrigue me the most. Brew McCoy, the former highly, highly regarded USC recruit, uh, five catches, 102 yards and a touchdown. 
he's starting to get it going there for the volunteers, right? We talked about Hendon Hooker before. So I think Brew McCoy's a name to get back on our radar a little bit. I think I had him ranked as like my 21st wide receiver before the season started. But McCoy's starting to put things together there in Tennessee. And, and the way Tennessee's playing and the way Hooker's playing, uh, McCoy's a guy who could be heard from a lot more the rest of this year. Julian Fleming finally got in the, you know, the box score. Four catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. The former, like, number one receiver recruit that was highly regarded in Debbie circles. Uh, we've seen him kind of fall behind, you know, a couple other highly regarded underclassmen. So it was nice to see Fleming kind of make some uh, stuff happen this past weekend. A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. We talked about Sam Hartman a little bit before. Four catches, 51 yards and a touchdown. I think he's in the mix of like one of the top senior bowl, uh, top senior wide receivers, probably a guy we'll see it down in Mobile uh, at the senior bowl. And in terms of the tight ends, uh, Michael Mayer had his best game this year, seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Notre Dame had a big win against UNC. Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan, seven catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. The reason why I bring him up, he's one of the best blocking tight ends in, in college football. Uh, he was on Dane Brugler's top senior tight end list. And again, mostly for his blocking acumen, but he's a guy who also has got some untapped athleticism. And when he puts a game together like this, this is a game that's going to stand out. This is a game that's going to get him drafted in round four as a blocking tight end, but them saying he does have some pass catching ability. So he's a name that you're not going to see in any Debbie circles because he's not really a fantasy asset. But don't forget the name Luke Shoemaker, probably a guy you'll see at one of the All-Star Senior Bowls, uh, All-Star games in the the, the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl. Uh, And then Dalton Kincaid, four catches, 66 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, it's been a quiet year from the top rated tight ends. Mostly Kincaid was a guy who came in with a lot of, uh, a lot of publicity before the season started, but then his teammate, Brent Keith was kind of outplaying him. So nice to see Kincaid uh, score two touchdowns this past weekend. Jeff, any quick thoughts on any of the receivers or tight ends, or it was just kind of, you know, like some things that jumped off at the box score for their production or lack thereof and nothing really to dig deep in and maybe just uh, take this to the Debbie slant. Look, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for someone to, you know, take the mantle here. I, I, it's wide open and, and we don't have someone like a Jamison Williams or a Devonte Smith coming out or, uh, I mean, it, we've got Rishi Rice right now is like carrying the banner for wide receiver production. And, um, you know, and, and so again, for me, I think traits are going to matter a lot more than, you know, stats when it comes down to the NFL draft. So we will definitely break them down that way, but you know, you've, you've got to produce on the field too. And, you know, yeah, we talked about the Maryland guys, right. Absent. So, um, you know, just, we talk about, uh, you know, see the Parker Washington, Quentin Johnston, right. Like we're just, we're waiting right now. And um, yeah, so I'm waiting for that. We'll, we'll see, you know, at, from now it's just traits and there's guys I like and guys I don't. And um, guys, I think who, you know, carry something special to offer NFL teams. And, um, and until somebody really makes a statistical case to like change my mind, otherwise, you know, I'm going to keep watching some Rishi Rice film. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, we haven't seen anybody yet. I mean, we've seen Jordan Addison have some good games. Uh, we've seen Rishi Rice, obviously, but the wide receivers as a whole hasn't been nearly as impressive in the early going this year as we've seen in the in the past. So let's take this to Debbie Slant. You know, honestly, I think the guy we talked about before a little bit, uh, Quishon Judkins out of Ole Miss, had probably the most impressive performance, 27 
uh, carries 140 yards, really impressive. Like we said, the second time he's had a really good game. I think he's a guy that you want to have on your radar in Devi circles. And, you know, we know, you know, Kiffin likes to build an offense through, you know, a running back. I think Judkins could be that guy, even if Evans, you know, is the guy this year. He's a guy you're going to want to get, you know, on your teams sooner rather than later. What he's done so far has been impressive. Uh, Drake May, he had five touchdowns against Notre Dame, but UNC came away victorious. But I think Drake May now, he's put himself, especially with Caleb Williams this past week, struggling, you know, against Oregon State. You know, I think now the the separation between a guy like Drake May and Caleb Williams, I think in terms of the, the underclassmen, I think is starting to to really get thin in terms of May and Caleb Williams. I mean, what Drake May's done this year, I've been really impressed with. Caleb Williams, obviously, up until this game, had been really, really good. Uh, you know, but this he, he really struggled in this game. But I think it's more about what May has done this year than what Williams didn't do in this one game. But but I do think May's really put him together quite the season, uh, and he needs to be right at the top of, of underclassmen Debbie quarterback rankings for sure. Uh, Will Shipley continues to to, to look good. 100, over 100 yards and a touchdown, and Amika Abuka uh, uh, at Ohio State, another two touchdowns, 118 yards. He's starting. He's the reason why Julian Fleming, like some of these guys, you know, haven't lived up because the younger players like Abuka uh, are looking really, really impressive. Uh, so that's kind of what stood out for me from the Devi slant. Jeff, any thoughts on any of those or anybody else you wanted to bring up? Because I, I didn't have a lot this week from the underclassmen that really jumped off. Yeah, I mean, I think we were going to circle back and, you know, I was going to maybe like go through your um, Debbie rankings and like throw a couple names like um, touching on Shipley real quick. His touchdown was great. I mean, that was fighting through three different def- tacklers, defenders to get it, get the touchdown. And, um, you know, I saw he lined up in the slot and had a legit slot route. Right. So we're not talking about the receiving like a back receiving back who's, you know, just flaring out to the flat and, and catching a flat and, you know, running up a, a sideline screen kind of thing. You know, we're talking about a player who's, you know, really showing a multifaceted uh, approach, uh, approach to the game. Um, but maybe, you know, Quinshawn Judskins, I don't know if you've seen too much of his film and, and, but maybe even just on the production alone, like, you know, I keep kind of checking in on Kansas and seeing if, if Devin Neal, you know, is really showing anything, you know, would you at this point just, by you know even from the just the box scores if you hadn't seen anything i mean obviously you've got to be somewhat impressive to do what Jenkins just did you know would you take him over neil now yeah i i think i might because what we've seen what we've seen has been impressive and what we know i think kiffin's there for for at least a little bit of the long haul what we know is he's going to give his his guy every opportunity uh, to be a focal point and clearly, you know, you know, we've seen now multiple times him get a, a heavy workload, you know, whether it was game circumstances or whatever the case may be. And he is really been impressive in the performances that he's put forth out there that, you know, he was re- highly regarded and, and, and now he's living up to that really early on. And we probably didn't think with Zach Evans there that we were going to see much production this year. So, so yeah, I think I probably would. Uh, because I, I do think his arrows pointing up, but sometimes, uh, at times in the Debbie community, I think people are slow to react and I'm more someone who's willing to react a little bit quicker. And, and with that, sometimes, you know, 
you know, you get somebody and then things settle back down. But I think also sometimes it gives you an opportunity to buy a little bit less than what another week or two will be. Right. Like, so, so I probably would, you know, prefer him and want to try to get him now. Yeah. And, and I asked, it's really tough balance, right? Cause I mean, you have freshmen come out and then fade away too. And then you have players that you were waiting on, waiting on, waiting on. And then, you know, they, they, they deliver on the hype. And I think just Devin Neal was an interesting name because I know he's got quite a few fans around the Debbie community. And, and I said his name to aim a little high because I think from like a freshman perspective, you know, Judkins is putting, you you talked about uh, Drake may closing a gap with a name like Caleb Williams, right? Like I think with what Judkins is able to step in and do right away as a freshman is closing the gap between him and a guy like Singleton. Um, You know, I think would be kind of, he'd be the right one to kind of, I think uh, pair together as, as freshmen. So. And the other thing is, let's be honest, like we didn't really think we were going to see too much from him this year with Zach Evans there. And now what I think we've seen is I think that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like when you I, force yourself onto the field with a back in front of you, like Zach Evans, like that's phenomenal. Like, you're, yeah. I mean, Zach Evans was regarded by some as RB two heading into this season in terms of talent and upside. Still like, might right, be for me. Yeah. And the fact that this guy is pushing his way onto the field and I don't think they're just going to, like I said, I don't think they're just going to put it back in the, you know, you're not going to just sit him on the sideline now and give Evans 25 touches. I don't think that's going to happen. So, so I, I think it, that speaks volumes. And if we start seeing like a 60, 40 timeshare, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I because I, I feel like now that he, he's produced the way he has, you know, now that's, they're not going to just kind of hide that, you know, because we haven't even seen Evans really produce like that. You know, I mean, you yeah, know, in his time at TCU and then early going at Ole Miss, like he hasn't had games that often that, that he carried 27 times and that type of production. So, so I, yeah, I, I think we're going to be seeing uh, a lot more of a split backfield there for sure. And I think he has definitely closed the gap on some guys that might've maybe been a little bit more highly regarded for sure. So uh, let's take this to the NFL rookie report. Remember we're recording on Sunday night, which is a little unusual, uh, but it's kind of a it was kind of a ho hum after last week. We had the Drake London explosion, the Garrett Wilson explosion. I felt like there was a lot to talk about. This week, I, I feel like there's a lot more. Last week, Chris Olave had all those air yards, but it didn't turn into much production. Well, this week, nine catches, 147 yards. He's becoming a significant, significant factor in that Saints passing offense. Uh, I don't think Jameis is it. But right now, Jameis is clearly locked onto Olave being a big part of that offense. And he is seeing opportunities in the intermediate parts of the field. And in, most importantly, he is seeing parts, he is seeing a lot of opportunities vertically down the field, which, you know, Olave can win at all three levels. But that vertical game of his is, is why the Saints drafted him. They needed that. They needed to add that to their offense. And, and Olave is becoming a significant factor there. Uh, Damian Pierce continues to just seize control, showing that that week one was just kind of a blip on the radar. This past week, 20 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. I think he had one catch for like 12 yards as well. So 21 touches for Damian Pierce. Rex Burkhead had less than a handful. Uh, It was the first week that Brees Hall out-snapped Michael Carter. So 
He had eight carries for 39 yards, six catches for 53 yards. But I think we're starting to see at least right now, my guess is when the dust settles as we go on, this is going to be more of a 60-40, 65-35 Brees Hall, Michael Carter. And I don't think it's a knock on Michael Carter. I think Brees Hall uh, is the guy they, they drafted second round. They have high expectations for him. He's a little bit more explosive. Uh, so so it's nice to see Brees Hall start to at least uh, eat into that Michael Carter workload and actually see more touches and and uh, you know and more snaps this week than than Michael Carter. And then I put Jelani Woods down. Not the two catches for thirteen yards is anything, but he came in as a very raw tight end. He had two touchdowns. He he's he's a guy that in tight end premium leagues and two tight end leagues and leagues that you could stash guys and kind of wait. I think Jelani Woods' ceiling is very intriguing, especially at the tight end position. Uh, he's going to be a guy that I, I think is a guy that eventually will seize control of that Colts backfield, uh, the backfield, the tight end mm-hmm. position, that depth chart. But I, I think it's probably going to be bits and pieces this year. But I think by next year, he might seize control of that and, and be the guy there. He's more talented than Kyle Granson. He's more talented than Mo Ali Cox. Uh, so, so a guy who was drafted, I think it was early third round before some of even the other high, more highly regarded tight ends. So it was nice to see him get two opportunities close to the, in the red zone and, and score those two touchdowns. Uh, so just kind of keep that name in the back of your mind. If he's, if he's out there in a, in a smaller dynasty setting, or you can get him, you know, thrown in in a trade or something and just kind of wait it out. I, I think he's an intriguing player partially because of how productive he could be in the red zone because he does create those mismatches. So, Jeff, any any thoughts on Olave? I think he's probably the name that stands out the most, or maybe Brees Hall finally, uh, you know, eating in a little bit more to Michael Carter's workload, or Damian Pierce literally becoming the bell cow that I think we thought prior to week one before that the Rex Burkhead came. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Pierce, for, you know, just week one was an alarm bell. Um, you know, you're, you're going to find some value this year with him now, it seems like. Um, you know, with, uh, with Woods, it, for me, tight ends, like, I just want to see the snaps, right? So let's, let's break that down. And, you know, it's, I didn't get tons of eyes on the games today. So, um, as far as Hall goes, it's, uh, it, I have a big Zach Wilson question. So, you know, this is kind of what we saw, you know, for the first three weeks, him and, you know, even though he's kind of now done the out snapped Michael Carter, like these, this is the kind of production we've seen with Joe Flacco behind the helm. And so what's going to happen with Zach Wilson? I, I'm, I'm quite curious. Yeah. You're gonna, they, I think you're going to see the check downs dramatically different. Yeah. And six for 53, that's 11 PPR points right there. Otherwise you have 39 yards. That's yep. a terrible fantasy day. Right. So it'll be interesting. Um, Alave, you know, I, I had mentioned that, you know, I had, when uh, Drake London, when we were earlier in the offseason, you know, right after the draft, he was kind of my top rated rookie. And, and you know, I think I mentioned last week that he he just got bumped down at the very end and he got bumped down for Olave. And it's just because, you know, Olave is my, my draft crush there. And I am really excited to see him do well here. Um, after I saw those air yards and those targets, I made a move um, and I moved Pickens in a second from a, Debbie league for Alave, and I had to I had to throw him into my lineup this week, so that that worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Pickens, right? I, one question for you: Whose catch was better, George Pickens or Odell Beckham Jr.'s? I 
some people are going to say it's the the homerism for being a Giants fan. I think because Odell's was a touchdown, yep. I give it the slight edge for that because he also had to like he had to get in bounds. He had to, yeah, he had to do the inbounds, make sure like he you know to he get didn't push point. off. He was yeah. getting he had the the interference flag thrown too, and not on him because he pushed off, but he had some guy horse collar dragging him down. He had yeah. to get his feet in bounds because he was closer to the sideline. I mean, not to take anything away, right? Like, yeah, picking between, made a picking, phenomenal yeah. catch. I mean, picking he, he between did his them. cleaner. Yeah, picking between right them. On the nose. Yeah, yeah, picking between them makes you feel like you're you're saying one wasn't amazingly impressive, yeah. and it was. I still, I don't know. I I think I might go to my grave one day, and I'm not sure I'll ever see in the moment of a game a better catch than than the Odell one. That like I just couldn't believe. Like the announcers didn't even know he caught it. Like it was just like. That to this day, I think that that that's the the greatest you know act in terms of a play, not like moment uh, I've ever seen, and, and we'll see if it could ever be topped at some point. Odell was the influence, right? Now all the kids, I mean, you see it a lot yes, more now. Yeah, and they you practice see it, it now because before games. Odell, no one would think to even try it, and Odell pulled it out. So he he was the first. He was the influence, and like any good artist it spawns off a, you know, a lot of variations and with everybody's own unique colors. And so Pickens is just another in that line, which I think a highlight, like I, the fact that we're talking about, is it better than Odell's means it's the greatest catch we've seen since Odell, I think. Yes. Yes, for sure. So uh, Pickens is going to be really a guy that we talk a lot about. I don't know how much early on this year, I think late this year, I think when picking uh, when, when, when Kenny Pickett gets in there, we might see we might be talking a little bit more about him. But uh, I like the trade you made. I would I would have made that trade as well. Uh, but I do think George Pickens is going to be a guy that you know has a really really good career as well. Uh, but but I do like Olave a little bit better. Uh, I just you know I said I said it all draft season. To me, he had the best traits of Will Fuller and the best traits of Terry McLaurin mixed together. Like, and that's pretty impressive, right? If you can have that route running and smoothness of McLaurin, but then also have the vertical capabilities of, of a guy like Will Fuller, I think that's kind of where Chris Olave lives. Uh, obviously, a lot of people that we really respect in the industry also loved him as well, including Matt Wallman and many others. Uh, yeah, so I think his arrow is pointing squarely, squarely straight up. Uh, Let's close out the night with the Dynasty Stock Report because I do think there were some interesting things that took place today uh, as we're recording this Sunday night. And let's start at the quarterback position because we talked a lot about Jalen Hurts last week, so we don't have to get into him again. But what he's doing is remarkable. And just to kind of show you where you can't can't be so resistant to change and change pretty quickly when needed, I moved him up. I already had moved him up. Remember I told you last week I was going to move him up. I now moved him up to number four in my dynasty quarterback rankings. And that is bold and aggressive, but I don't think he's going anywhere now. See, the thought of me always being lukewarm on his quarterback ranking was if Philadelphia didn't believe in him, why would another team believe in him? Is he going to be a backup in a year? That's gone. If for some reason the Eagles, you know, don't still don't believe in him yet, which I don't think, I don't think that's the case another team squarely would based on what we've seen him. He's improving as a passer better than I ever even thought he was going to get. Is he still the greatest passer ever? No, but neither is Lamar Jackson at times. Neither is Kyler Murray at times. But what, what he, what he is, is he's shown 
a tremendous amount of progress and growth in his passing. And that started the year he went to Oklahoma. He showed tremendous <laughs> growth from his time at Alabama, where we knew he was athletic. We knew he was a gamer. We knew he was smart and had all the intangibles. Then we saw him start growing as a player and the passer at Oklahoma under that Lincoln Riley. And then we're kind of seeing the same thing, right? It was very, very basic stuff early on in his career in the NFL. And now we're starting to see him advance a little bit in terms of what he's capable of. That to me, the rushing receiving, I mean, the rushing and passing combined production, the setup there now in Philadelphia makes me want to be all in on him now. That to me, besides Josh Allen, Mahomes, and Lamar for fantasy, for dynasty, I think I'd want Jalen Hurts right now fourth over Kyler Murray and then over to Herbert Burrow pairing as well because I've watched a lot of Arizona in the last couple of games and and maybe things will be different when when there's a new play caller there and I, I've never been a Kingsbury fan but right now like everything Kyler Murray does as impressive as it is seems so challenging and so difficult yet Jalen Hurts it seems so easy it's like what what they're doing right now in Philadelphia you know it starting to look easy like it does at times for, you know, when, when Josh Allen started to make his big growth, when Lamar started to make his big growth, we're starting to see it seem like everything's slowing down for Jalen Hurts. Everything's improving with Jalen Hurts, that I want to be aggressive getting him now. And the other thing that I that I said was, I don't know about other people, but to me, I don't think – I don't think top for I don't think anything below top three anymore for Lamar is, is doing him right. I think he's got to be in top threes. I think the I think the better question that we now got to start asking is does he belong to be number two after Josh Allen and not number three after Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? I don't know where your take is kind of on that. So maybe any quick thoughts on the quarterback situation there? Am I, is it too aggressive on Hurts? Do you still where do where do you think about Lamar? Should he be right after? Allen, do you still think he should be behind Allen and Mahomes? So, you know, I had a startup, you know, right before, uh, you know, the year and late summer, and I had to make the bold call of taking Lamar over Joe Burrow, over Kyler Murray, right? Um, I've seen his MVP season. You know, I've seen his quote-unquote down year when he was quarterback 9 or 10. And if that was, I think, the 2020 season where – things were inflated across the board and, you know, Baltimore just, you know, had some weird rut going on, but you know, his, like his points, even in that season, you know, were average ish for Lamar and would have been a quarter, like the quarterback two numbers in any other season. Right. It was just that the 2020 year just had all these inflated passing numbers. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Lamar is squarely in that top tier I think where I'm different than you mostly is that I'll put Herbert in that top tier. And, and that necessarily means that I'm also putting Herbert over Hertz still. And I, I mean, I get it though. Um, you know, I, and I was kind of rattling off the names when you said four, I was like, okay, that's over Burrow. Okay. I, I mean, I get that. I mean, there's, you've got this rushing upside, right? That's over Kyler. I'm like, well, you know, Kyler's struggling when, when I talk about, you know, and I think I talked about it with Kyler last year when he was on his ascension, right? And they said, hey, look, you know, before we crown Kyler top one, top two, top three quarterback, right? Because that, that was kind of the conversation one year ago when he was the top scoring quarterback in fantasy after two, three, four, five weeks, somewhere in there. Um, You know, my my statement there, my 
you know, and, and this will apply to Hertz too, is that, you know, when a quarterback goes through their development, you know, their the defenses are going to adjust, you know, defensive play callers are going to adjust. They're going to, they're going to make things challenging. Like they're going to, it's going to be a constant battle, give and take, and you're going to see them go through these ruts and you're going to need to see them step through and take, go out of these ruts. I don't think we've seen that with Jalen Hurts yet. So for me, we haven't seen him adjust to defensive play callers doing everything they can to shut him down. And I'm sure that's what you're saying. Like, why wouldn't everybody try to shut him down now? There's going to get some tape. There's going to be a book. There's going to be a part of his development and growth where things aren't easy, just like we're seeing with Kyler. And, and, you know, Kyler's struggled through these for, for big stretches. So that's why I don't have any problem putting Hertz in that tier and even taking him above him. Not at all. I'm just saying, Hey, that, that point is coming for Hertz. And I don't know. Th- there's a few players that I might be wrong on in it and it didn't come. And you, you maybe say Pat Mahomes had to deal with it when defenses went too high on him and he learned to be patient. That was like two games, <laughs> you know, and the other one, I don't think I've seen it yet with is Herbert, but from what I've seen him string together year to year to year and the progress, I don't know. I think he's on a similar Mahomes track where the way that defenses adjust to him, you know, it's, it's a one, two game adjustment for him to, to go back to it. And, and I think that's why he's in my top tier in the Ascension. So that's kind of how I, I order things. Yeah. If top four quarterbacks putting Herbert up in there and then throw Hertz in that tier with Burrow, Kyler, Watson or you know whoever else you know ends up being you know Dak or or whoever whoever else you want to put in there I certainly think you know as I keep going further and further down the list of names you know the more and more I just want to see Hertz in the upside and even just due to the rushing right like even if he isn't even if he stops progressing as a passer and he's not going to be on a level like a Josh Allen like a Lamar even like even if he doesn't get to Lamar's level as a passer He's still going to be an incredibly valuable fantasy asset. And he's good enough now to be an extremely valuable NFL asset. And that's what you need for your longevity, right? Is can he be an asset to an NFL team? And you've laid out the argument. Well, I think the, the, the we have a definitive answer to that. And it's yes. Yeah. And I mean, you can make the case. He's set up with his pass catchers as good as anybody right now in the entire NFL, mm-hmm. besides maybe Tua. But like we don't even Burrow, yeah, and Burrow, yeah, sorry, yeah, and Burrow, Burrow, and and Tua would be the only other two guys that are probably set up uh, better than him. You know, and, and I'm going to bring up Devonta Smith momentarily, but you know, he he's set up there. Those guys are going to be there for at least the next like four years there, as he's as he will have some of these downs, right? And and those guys will be really helpful to have, you know, to to kind of help him get over those adjustments that he'll have to make uh, that inevitably will come. The only other quarterback thing is is as someone who is a huge fan, I'm not writing him off. But but the concern level now for Justin Fields is at a level of this whole year is going to be we could we talked last week about the unfortunate Lance injury right and it's a whole year of his development completely stunted right and he doesn't get to play and he didn't play much in his last year in college so now like you know expectations next year and it's been like how many years it'll be like four years right since he really played meaningful football. Well, Justin Fields, I mean, they're not even trying 
to really develop him. I mean, eight passes, eight completions when he does, like he he seems like he he's very tentative. Two interceptions today. They're like, I I just don't know where we go. Any expectations moving forward? It's just blind faith on what we thought about this kid as, you know, a, a collegiate prospect where I loved him, but he's not going to be, he's not going to be with Chicago next year. I don't think like, I think that I, I almost, I almost feel like definitive about that. They, they're not even, they didn't show any, they didn't show any want to during the off season to try to help him and, and say, okay, most important thing this year is to help him grow. They didn't. They didn't bring an offensive-minded head coach. They didn't invest in an O-line in early in free agency or early, like big part of free agency or early in the draft. They didn't, you know, get them really any playmakers besides a third-round pick on an older prospect in Vila Jones. And now it's like they're not even letting him just say go out there and and take the lumps, but but throw the ball thirty-five times. Like, and I don't know. I don't know how we. I don't know what we do with him in Dynasty. I think if you have him, you probably just hold on to him because you can't give him away now because it's gonna you're gonna get nothing back in return. But but I think now like we're talking about another team's just gonna take a flyer on him is what is where I my guess is where this is going. And when I take a flyer on, listen, the Jets got like a second and a fourth for Sam Darnold, so there might be a team that 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 needs a quarterback that still believes in him. So, so he'll get another chance for sure, but how many times have we quarterback is not tight ends. We don't often see quarterbacks leave somewhere and, and thrive somewhere else. Right. That's not, it's not the, that's not normal. So, so I think the expectations have to, to be carefully thought through when you're talking about a dynasty circle. Uh, And it's unfortunate because I, I really do like the player a lot. But once the regime who drafted him is no longer there, I think it changes everything, uh, and 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 that's kind of where we're at with with, with Chicago. Bad team, bad O line, minimal weapons, and they just look like they're just like asking him to like kind of be a caretaker this year, pass as little as possible. Maybe they steal some wins. I mean, they're two and one now, and he, he's basically had no impact on those two wins. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I know you were right there with me. You were intrigued with with, with Fields. You liked the the up the, uh, the potential, but what what do we do with him? Do we just hold on to him and kind of wait it out for him to maybe get a new landing spot in a year? Because he's only regressing. He's not developing. Honestly, like I would want to wait it out, mostly because you know I seen the talent and I want good things for the guy. But if if you want to actually like plot it out and say what is his stock going to do over the next treat it like a treat it like a company that you're buying stock in what what's his stock going to do in the if you plot over the next 10 to 12 months is it going to be as good as it is today no probably not so get out you know get you know get what you can because it's it's probably not going to get better and and the reason it's not going to get better isn't on justin fields it's just it's a criminal what Chicago's done to him, what, what Matt Nagy did to him, you know, what their front office is doing to him now. It could just, I mean, your top pass catchers are Darnell Mooney and, and Cole Komet, and they're nowhere to be found. So I, yeah, it just, 
you know, we saw a couple flashes. We've seen some, we've seen when the offense is tailored to his strengths that he could be a really good player. Um, and this just kind of fits, feels like trying to fit, you know, a, a player into a scheme where the fit just isn't there. And, you know, and then I think when you start looking at, okay, a new landing spot or, or wherever else happens next for him, you know, is a team, you know, like you said, the teams paid second and fourth for Donald, but they, they've paid for Donald and asked him to come in and just run what they do. Right. That's not an investment where they want to build around the player, right? This isn't like Kyle Shanahan drafting Trey Lance and and changing the offensive scheme. I mean, you heard a you heard Jimmy Garoppolo talk about how the offense was completely different when he stepped into that game, right? This isn't an offense designed around somebody that you've invested multiple first round picks in. Um, although it should be because that's that's what Chicago did, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and the, and the truth of the matter is, if a team trades for him, I'm not sure he's going to get that in his new home, right? If yeah, that's he, it. They're he, they're not going to put, put multiple first round picks. They're not going to spend enough where they feel like they need to build around this guy. Like he's going to have to, he's going to, he's, gonna gonna, have to he's got a lot. a lot of work ahead of him. Like he's going to have to, he's going to have to work harder than it's, it's a headwind. He's going to have to work harder, twice as hard as anybody else to adapt his game to something that isn't his game. It's basically like Trey Sermon, right? He had to change and adapt his game to Kyle Shanahan started doing that. And then they're like, all right, cool. You're the best player in camp. Cool. We're, we're cutting you now. <laughs> you know, like that's what's, that's what's in store. And that sucks. Yeah. And and the truth of the matter is it might be, he might have to get a little lucky. Like again, you know, just using this because it's something close, close to me is like if the giants move on from Daniel Jones, but they, they find their way to eight or nine wins this year and they're not in position to draft like the guy they want in the draft. Would they be open to trading a day two pick and seeing what they can do with Justin Fields? Maybe Joe Shane and Brian Dable liked him in their draft oh, class, cool. but, but, but obviously they weren't going to draft the quarterback in Buffalo, but they scout everybody right to kind of get a feel for them. Maybe they liked them. And, and he does kind of fit what Dable scheme likes to do. Like, you know what I mean? So unless he, but gets, he that's a coach that would scheme around, like that's yes. a coach that does enough to build around the talents of their players to put them in successful positions. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. you hear players talk about that with coaches sometimes. Right. And, and players know what's up, right? Like they know what they can do. They know when coaches ask them to do something they're not great at, they know when they're doing well. And when, you know, and, you know, a lot of times they know when they're doing well that, you know, the coaches listening to them and listening to their advice, right. That's the landing spot where I, I think you're going to see field stock continue to go down because he's not going to be the starting quarterback in Chicago next year. And when what you'll have to see is where, when he, when he leaves, where he goes, what type of coach is that? Is that a Dable light coach or is that a, or is it going to Carolina? Yeah. Or is it going to Carolina or is it going to rule won't be there, but rule won't be there. That'll be a new regime, but you, you know what I mean? Like is, is Seattle, does Seattle go get him? Cause Seattle's not going to build an offense for him. No, Dable might build an offense for him. So, so that's like the one landing spot. I couldn't think of one, but when you said that for the giants, I was like, okay, yeah, like, I'll, uh, I'll be in if that happens, but that's one in 32 right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, so like he's going to need to get very lucky to land somewhere in the second spot. That's willing to maybe say, okay, this is what he can do. I'll build my offense around that. Most likely he's going to end up somewhere that, like you said, he's going to have to try to learn 
and show that he can fit in in another scheme. And we've seen Chicago try to force him down to that scheme last year. It didn't work. We thought maybe this year they would create a different scheme. But even when I watch that game, they're not doing much with his legs. They're not getting him going by doing a lot of RPO stuff and taking, moving the launch point. They're just not. They're trying to hide him, if anything, not build an offense around him, which is ideally what you would want to be doing for a guy who invested two first-round picks in and theoretically should be the face of your franchise. Instead, they're trying to hide him. So it's... I don't want to think it's a sunk cost in Dynasty, but but like I made some moves in my ranks and and I put Tua over him, like things that I would have never thought I would have done just even a couple weeks ago. But now, like I, I have to be practical. If Tua is the quarterback for Miami for the next couple of years and he gets the Rota ball to, to Tyree Kill and and Waddle, he's probably going to be decent in fantasy. Right now, I don't know if Field is ever going to be decent, right? So it's like, you know, so the, the, it'll be interesting to kind of see. There's, it's going to be a long road to to get back to to what we thought he might be. Uh, not this injury circumstance of a guy like Trey Lance, but interesting nonetheless that same draft class, you know, kind of feel like a couple wasted years in, in their careers now for different reasons, obviously, and very different teams in terms of a successful one with a good quarterback or at least a good veteran quarterback in Garoppolo and then an injury compared to Fields' situation. But nonetheless, uh, interesting to kind of see how those guys uh, come back down the line. In terms yeah, if you of could trade Fields for Lance, I'd, I'd do that. Right? I think maybe you could yes. sell it like, well, they both have big question marks about their future. I get that. But at least one guy's producing this year. I mean, yeah. when you look at when I look at where they're going to be in 12 months, one's going to be higher. One's going to be lower. So, yes, agree. Uh, let's just rapid fire. I'm going to run. I'm going to run off a couple names here and then you kind of go wherever you want. Khalil Herbert, who I've been a fan of for quite some time, seized uh, the opportunity uh, given to him today in that Chicago backfield and that Chicago offense as we were just talking about with, with Justin Fields. David Montgomery goes down an injury. Khalil Herbert, 20 carries, 157 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely goes off. Probably, I'm going to say it's because yesterday I traded him away as oh, no. much as I love the player. I was in a win-now team, traded him and a first-round rookie pick for Gabe Davis, who I do like a lot, but nonetheless, right after I do that, Khalil Herbert, 157 yards, two touchdowns. He is going to be the starter in Chicago next year. Justin Fields won't be, but Khalil Herbert will be. They will not re-sign David Montgomery and spend big money on a running back in free agency. Khalil Herbert, anytime a guy gets opportunity last year and now this year, just looks tremendous. Uh, another Matt Waldman favorite, I think, from last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but he's got his supporters. I like Herbert's game. Devonta Smith, I brought him up before. He was doing things today like he was winning at the catch point multiple times today tremendously. If he's going to start adding that to his arsenal, we already know he's a really good route runner, really good separation quickness, really good hands. Uh, but he was winning. Like There were a couple plays where at first like it was on like I was watching the game mix. And like I was like, that must have been AJ Brown, and just because the way he went up and got it, and then like the red zone went over to it, and I started the plays, and I was like, oh my god, that's Devonta Smith doing that. Like the guy that we were so nervous about, his 168 pound frame is literally going up and and winning catch point contested catches. Uh, I think the fact that he's now doesn't have to be the alpha is so. I think is something that is going to be so beneficial to Devonta Smith's early portion of his career because. 
he would have been the focal point of every off of every defensive coordinator when they face Philadelphia. But now he's like an afterthought basically, because they're so worried about AJ Brown, who rightfully so is, is a stud, but that's just going to open up for Devonta Smith. I think, I don't know if the volume will, will be there to support him as like a high end top 24 type dynasty wide receiver. Probably not. But I think he'll settle in as a good wide receiver three, especially as Jalen Hurts continues to to grow more. Uh, Curtis Samuel, I would love to hear your takes. If you know former second round pick signed a pretty big contract with Washington, his former coach there, and then injury lost year. But I mean, they're using him. His usage has been phenomenal the first couple of weeks. Is it sustainable? I know Dotson, uh, you know, Jahan Dotson's there too. So I'd love to hear your take maybe on, on Samuel. And then I put stock down, you know, Darnell Mooney. I don't even think we have to get into that. We know why that stock's down right now, but this is going to be a lost year in terms of owning him, I think, in fantasy. Uh, so you're, you're losing out on a whole year, basically. And then DJ Moore, we thought the, the Baker, I thought ba- the Baker Mayfield edition was at least going to rise him up. And if anything, it seems like it's hurt him now. And, and now, you know, DJ Moore, you know, he was really moving up there in, in dynasty ranks and I had him pretty high too. And I still have him pretty high, but I'm a little concerned that this isn't, this is going to be pretty much not a year that I thought he was going to be like high wide receiver too. I think right now this might be more of a year that he's he's in that wide receiver remix, which is not really where you want to be because that that fluctuates week to week. Uh, so I think it has to be a little stocked down on him. So any thoughts on any of that? You kind of go wherever you want between Herbert and Smith and Samuel or to stock down guys if you have anything you want to add to Mooney or DJ. Yeah, DJ Moore, is, it's, it's a cautionary tale, right? Everybody says it can't get worse than blank, right? It can't get worse than Sam Darnold. It can't get worse than noodle-armed Ben Roethlisberger, right? I mean, you're talking about saying you lose a Hall of Famer in Ben Roethlisberger and you think Mitch Trubisky or a, you know, rookie Kenny Pickett is going to be better than that. (laughs) You know, it's just, I think people have a wellspring of optimism coming out during summer and every team has upgraded, right? And that's why DJ Moore is going to really take off this year you know he's a good player he's until he gets a good quarterback and 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 especially one that'll like actually focus on him and give him the targets right baker just doesn't seem to care about feeding his talented wide receivers that which is just a shame um and it's not going to make him successful right like help other have others help you um Curtis Samuel is an interesting one uh, because I am a big Jahan Dotson believer and Jahan Dotson has looked amazing, right? Like his catches are off the charts already. Like I, I see Dotson supplanting Curtis Samuel as a better focus for that offense. That being said, like this is, this is the same coaching staff where Curtis Samuel broke out as a Carolina Panther. Uh, and it took him a while, right? It it took him a while from injuries during his first couple of years in the league too. And so I don't think we're going to see this sustain by one way or another, um, whether it's a talent thing, whether it's an injury thing, uh, or just a way that their offense will evolve, right? They, that's going to evolve throughout the season. So, uh, you know, I think this is a great opportunity to, you know, sell high, but, We've also seen, you know, this kind of happen for a season or so, like with a JD McKissick kind of role, right? And 
he's at least for now uh you've got to he's starting in your fantasy lineup he's you've got to play him right and that's a really good it's a really good position for a piece that was sort of an afterthought and then i just you know want to champion khalil herbert because he's been one of those guys that have always kind of been the guy that i want to get thrown in on a trade and unfortunately i'd had 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 to throw him in on a few other trades as like the throw in and and now i don't have him on my roster which makes me sad it's it's i don't think the chicago coaching staff is anything to write home about we talked about it with fields like they're montgomery's going to be healthy they're going to go straight back to him this is like an alexander madison dalvin cook thing except if the talent levels were so much closer like montgomery is a very very good back i don't know if he's worth paying oodles of money on a second contract but i mean you watch what he did last weekend and he was phenomenal um i mean he didn't it wouldn't wasn't enough to win the game against green bay but you know he was really good um i think he was like leading the league in broken tackles per attempt or something like that until nick chubb played thursday but um so i think you're gonna just see mick i don't know what the injury is like i, I didn't i, I yeah, got I did a quick search and it could be it was lower leg his ankle it could be a few weeks then you know herbert's gonna he's if he gets the opportunity he's going to produce and he's hopefully not one of the backs like Alexander Madison, who always produce when given the opportunity but never get a role. Hopefully, he's more along the lines of uh, the uh, Turner, right? Uh, Michael Turner, Turner. who who kind of made it made it somewhere. Um, let's cross our fingers. Yeah, and listen, I think Montgomery is a solid back. I think he's a good back. But to me, watching Montgomery to Khalil Herbert is the same thing I felt over the last year and a half, maybe even two years, when I watched the Cowboys. There are things that Ezekiel Elliott does better, but when you just watch Ezekiel Elliott run and then you watch Tony Pollard run, there's a clear difference in who offers more juice and who offers more explosion. And that doesn't make or break running backs, right? If if it did, that would be the only thing we care about. But you could see, I could, when I watch Khalil Herbert, I'm really intrigued by him. I liked him at Virginia Tech. Uh, he fell to debris, but I, I, he took advantage last year when he got it. So I'm a fan of his. I would try to get him as soon as Montgomery comes back, and especially if he takes that lead role back. Every one of your leagues, you should be. Everyone should be trying to go out and get Khalil Herbert on the cheap third round rookie pick, thrown in in another deal. Try to get him now because come the off season, Montgomery's going to leave. And I don't think they're going to invest much. They'll, they'll bring in somebody else, obviously. But I think they're going to give Khalil Herbert every opportunity to be the guy next year. I know it's not the same regime that drafted him, so maybe they, maybe there'll be that. Maybe that'll hurt him. But if he if he performs in glimpses, I think he might get a real opportunity there, so they can build up the rest of that team, not spend many resources at the running back position, uh, and, and hone in on the other areas that they need for sure. So. Jeff, there it is. Dynasty report for this week. A lot of interesting things there. Hopefully you are enjoying these four segments that we are bringing to you each and every week. If so, please get over to the website, SS Football. Fastest and quickest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all three of our premium notebooks. Uh, scouting notebook updated all year. They'll have so many. It has close to 100 prospects already in it. Uh, rankings notebook. All our different rankings for all the different things. Devi, Dynasty. Uh, rookie dynasty, positional for dynasty, draft eligible, Devi, all that, and then the draft 
projections notebook next April as well. So, Jeff, any parting shots before we call it night? No, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Absolutely. So, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>